0: Hey guys welcome back to the bold beautiful borderline podcast it's your host sarah and Lori, and today we have a special guest who i just simply adore um but she's very aligned with Lori on like team cat mom um i am not so i'm sure we're at some point going to talk about cat momming but today we have our friend jess here who is a super feeler regular and just like literally one of my favorite people that I've met on social media. So Jess, I'm so glad that you're here and you have a really unique um, story to share with us. We're going to talk about your experience getting diagnosed later in life and also your ketamine treatments, which people have been dying to get this perspective. So I also just have to say you have like these xenon looking earrings on. (laughs) Does anyone know Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, or is that just me?
1: No, I know. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking. And and I might say I made these,
0: so they're beautiful. And they yeah, they totally gave me Xenon vibes. Lori, do you know Xenon? (laughs) No idea. Oh my god. Okay. Well, that's for another time. But Jess, (laughs) tell us who you are. (laughs) Hi, uh, I'm Jess. Um,
1: so I guess do I just? I'll just launch into my my little story. Um, I was diagnosed with borderline when I was 38. So I'm 41 now. Uh, so I was diagnosed in 2019. Um, I got my diagnosis through, um, a, my psychiatrist. Um, I was searching for any diagnosis. Um, I was, I, you know, kind of went through life always knowing I was depressed. I, I've had depression and anxiety since I was, uh, as long as I can remember, you know, from walking, talking, thinking, as, as soon as I could think, I knew I was sad. Um, so I uh, have lived my life that way. Um, been often on medications, never very successful. I, I've also been diagnosed with ADHD and PTSD uh, at the same time. I was actually diagnosed initially with ADHD when I was 18, but chose not to accept the diagnosis because of my family situation. You know, my, my dad took me to the psychiatrist and I was like, Oh, whatever dad says, fuck you. Um, so I, uh, kind of was never treated, uh, for anything, um, really officially. And, um, so I, I went and to get the again, this, the diagnosis, but I, I expected him to say like bipolar or just, you know, severe depression. So, uh, borderline, not even on my radar. Um, so when I received the diagnosis, it was like, hooray, I guess like a lot of us, it's like fucking finally something I can put to paper and actually invest myself in. But then it was like, oh shit, this is, Terrible. <laughs> this is awful. Like, this is this is scary. Not terrible or awful. But it was scary. Um, and I was in a relationship at the time and I thought that you know, hooray, we'll do this together, but it was not so much that way. But I kind of dove myself into looking for a dbt program. That was my like laser focus. And it is hard, you guys know. Like it's it took me. Well, I mean, I started looking for a program and then the pandemic. So then, you know, pandemic, then relationship ended, then I had to move, then, you know, like just everything. Um, So I didn't actually really start applying myself to handling the diagnosis until like really when around when I started listening to you guys. So like this, this past summer, um, and, but man, did I dive headfirst into it? <laughs> I like I've been, I, I, like, I, I had done, I got into, I did get into a DBT program last winter, but I won't talk about it because it wasn't great and I hated it. <laughs> so it was like, I'll just, that's as much as I'll, I'll say. Um, but now I'm just like, I'm, yeah, I'm really, I, I've, I've done a lot of work and you guys have been amazing um helping me through this and um it's it's not as as scary as it was so that's pretty great
2: yeah. um
0: another
1: another can way I ask I can... a
0: question Jess oh, yes oh, sorry, sorry <laughs> that's okay I was just yeah you have ADD I have ADD yeah be really interesting <laughs> but um did you know you said, like all of us, you thought maybe a, a bipolar diagnosis? Were you familiar with borderline before you were diagnosed with it? I mean, I had heard of it. I knew like it was one of those, like
1: on the periphery, sort of like floating out there. Like, you know, I knew there were uh, there were things called personality disorders. I knew, you know, narcissism. And, that, and like that was, you know, the, you know, what are they, the cluster B person, you know, disorders. And um but that was the extent of it. I it Glenn Close, that was that was my only introduction, you know, bunnies. Like that was that all I thought of. Um and then reading more about it, like getting the nine criteria when he when I was presented with them, I was like, Oh my God, that's that's all me. That's right down the list, man. Like check every single box. Um,
2: so yeah, which you is know. What- it's so frustrating that that took 38 years i, I know it's going to say
0: that
1: and i know i remember so i i i can kind of give a, a another little uh window into my mental health history i i went to a, this was 7 years ago i sort of had a uh an unhealthy relationship with alcohol we'll say and i i thought that my solution was going to rehab um, and I was, so I was there for three weeks and I remember sitting with one of the psychiatrists and saying, and saying to him, like, I think I, I'm bipolar and he, and I was, you know, describing all my symptoms and he's like, you're not bipolar. I'm like, okay. He's like, and, and he now reflecting back on it. And I'm like, I, I know what you wanted to tell me. I know what you wanted to tell me, but Nobody wants, you know, it's not a diagnosis that's, that anybody really wants to dole out, um, especially then, and especially in that setting, I think is not, you know, thankfully now I, you know, I, I have a much healthier relationship with alcohol. I, you know, it's, it's something that I realized it wasn't the alcohol. It was, it, it was my mental health. Um, so it's, at least for me, that's how it's, it's
0: fleshed out. So I do think um, that that's a good point that you said though, in that setting, it would be hard to diagnose because it's yeah. kind of hard to differentiate the difference between substance use related symptoms and a longstanding
2: history of mental illness. Right. Um, but I would think this- that the attachment pieces, like, I think that if you, if you really resonate with a lot of the diagnostic criteria, like some of those attachment pieces would be quite not like standard for everybody that has substance use issues. Right. Like you'd think that you could have received at least like the, you know, the classic, like half-assed diagnosis of borderline traits or like something to kind of like get you moving on this path to like actually recognizing what was happening for you. But I mean, yeah, but a clinician who's practicing in substance use, isn't going to
0: be thinking much outside of substance use and like you know, the impulsivity and the strong inability to maintain relationships and the perceived feelings of abandonment. I mean, all of that is really closely tied to substance use. But you're right, the attachment related piece, no. And I just don't think clinicians in that setting, when all they're thinking is like how to get people sober, are really doing
2: that long standing assessing. Right. Well, and it could also be that maybe personality disorders were an exclusion criteria for that program. And he was like, I'm not going to give you this diagnosis. Right. Like, I mean, that's the case with some people who have substance use and are trying to access mental health treatments, at least in Canada is that they're like, well, you can access this as long as you're not using. Okay, cool. But that like cuts out 50% of the people that are needing the program or like, you know, personality disorders or psychosis can be exclusion criteria in some situations. Uh, you never know.
0: I want to know from your perspective, um, Jess, because whenever Lori and I talk about her experience with getting diagnosed and treatment, you know, Lori got diagnosed at 18,
2: right, Lori? Yeah. Like pretty much right out the gate, <laughs>
0: right. Right. As soon as someone can get diagnosed And I got diagnosed at 23 mm-hmm. and I like have felt such a frustration with the fact that I got diagnosed at 23 And here you are at 38, right? (laughs) Did you have to like mourn that feeling of like, man, someone could have helped me so much sooner?
1: Absolutely. 100%. I look back, I mean, I know it's a diagnosis that they don't want to give until you've sort of, I guess, developed your personality, so to speak. Um, But I, I honestly feel like I could have been diagnosed when I was you know, in, in middle school, like my, my emotions, the, 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 the abandonment, especially, um, I, I, um, just instances, you know, it could have a lot to do. My parents were divorced when I was very young. Um, and I remember standing outside and I mean, this could just be a product of divorce, you know, it's very traumatizing overall for children, but Um, Like watching my father go down the street with like my the rocking chair that my mother used to put me to sleep in and just like being like crying and bawling, but like not recovering for days and days. And like I actually they pulled me out of well, I was in a kindergarten program, you know, initially, and then instead of going on to first grade, I went into a program called transitional first because, so in between kindergarten and first grade, because I was too emotionally, um, stunted effectively to go on to first grade with my peers. I, they had to hold me back to, with, you know, younger children effectively, because I, that was, that was the emotional, uh, trajectory I was on.
2: So, Interesting. so clearly the signs have been there since yes. very young. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So How did you, so you said your DBT treatment did not go well um, and we don't need to pry into that. That's fine. (laughs) Um, Some, it works really well for some people. It doesn't work well for others. And it's, there's, you know what I mean? It was just like the lessons were there. I saw
1: the, I, I could see the benefit. Yes. These lessons are perfect. It was the delivery. It was the you know the surroundings, the the other people I was in the program with. It was just like an unfortunate sort of program. That's all. Totally.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Like it sometimes people like maybe, yeah, your group just hit wrong or your clinician wasn't the right one or right. um you weren't in the right place to be like focused on it. Like there's so many factors, right? It's not like it's a magical cure all. But right. um, maybe it's because there wasn't
0: peer support, Lori.
2: Yeah, maybe. Um, What was your experience in terms of medication for your mental health? Because presumably if you've ended up with the ketamine assisted therapy, you've probably tried other medications in the past.
1: Oh, I have. I tried. Um, I have been, I think I've been on almost every I mean, that's probably an exaggeration, but I've been on at least 10 different medications over the course of, you know, the last 20 years. Um, You know, it started, I started on antidepressants at 18 after a suicide attempt. And then, but I was, I never had the follow-through. I would be on them for a few months, but then I never had the consistency myself To follow through, I didn't have really um, the support to follow through. You know, from home, so it was I. It just I wasn't great at it. And then even when I was really into it, I wasn't great at it. And I, you know, maybe that's part of the ADD or ADHD. Um, maybe it's just general despondency, maybe uh, you know it's so many factors, but I kept trying. That's kind of my, my thing. I'm like, I'm always trying, just not always succeeding. Um, but then when I did give it an earnest try, um about when after I went to rehab, I, I went consistently on antidepressants. Um and but I was still really fucking depressed all the time. Um, I was still consistently not getting out of bed. I was still consistently, you know, I also had other factors. I had endometriosis and um, oh, then I ultimately oh, ended same. up getting, uh, Oh really? Oh, isn't yeah. it?
2: It's a nice story. I
0: didn't know that.
2: Yeah. I had to have surgery at like also 18 because it was wow. so bad. Yeah. Why and, have and, we haven't we talked about the intersection of this and your mental illness? Ooh, See, I, I don't know. We should, another, Endometriosis and there's so many people that have similar or endometriosis. Yeah.
1: Oh my god. I I had a hysterectomy um three years ago. Yeah. So it was growing on my sciatic nerve. Oh, it was just for that was I honestly thought that was a huge part of my problem. That I'm sure it was. It it was. Yeah, like it certainly didn't help. Because like if you're in pain
0: constantly, you're you're kind of gonna be miserable. Um so mm-hmm. where, where was I going with that? And that kind of pain, I was, someone told me it's like literally the same pain every day as like having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Like it got studied.
2: It's it unbelievable. Misery. Yeah.
0: I just blind
1: there. I mean, between, you know, the, the, the uterine pain and then the uterine pain or however you say it, and then the sciatic pain. it was just like, I don't, I don't even know why I'm bothering. Like
2: just so. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I know Sarah, we should totally record all this. I can't believe we never talked about it before. I literally
0: had no idea.
2: Yeah. But it, it, it can also really affect your sex life and your Mm self-confidence because your body is essentially like your, your reproductive organs are essentially just like out to get you is how it yeah. feels like. So yeah, it can lead to a whole bunch of sexual dysfunction problems. Well, yeah. and, and no
0: wonder your symptoms were so bad at eighteen, Lori. If you were going through that, holy shit! I got. I've had two IUDs, <laughs> and I know this is not the same, but it literally fucks me up so bad. It's so painful, and I cannot believe that people live with that same amount of pain every single day. I cannot <laughs> I fathom. I tried it. getting one. Oops, sorry, I tried
1: getting one once, and they couldn't make it past my cervix.
0: I, I literally know, really. both times passed out like straight mm-hmm. up like white and they held me. Like yes. I cannot believe that people live with that level of pain every day. It's unfathomable.
1: Yeah. It's wild. So that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah, we're just we just have a ton of fun stuff going on all the time. Um, so but I was so I tried the antidepressants for forever. Um, and then finally it was in February of, um, 2021, I decided I had been reading for a few years. I'm saying wearing into ketamine now. Um, I'd been reading up because desperation, like I need to like get out of bed more consistently than I am. Um, I started seeing things pop up about ketamine treatments. And I was like, well, what's this? And I now, admittedly, I was a bit of a party kid in high school and did my fair share of raving, but never touched ketamine because all of my friends talked about going into K-holes. And I was like, well, that sounds terrible. That just does not sound like anything I want to do. I want to do ecstasy and kiss everybody. So that was, (laughs) was where I was at for me. Um, But the the therapeutic effects that I was reading about ketamine was just like mind blowing, and it, it's literally sounded like a miracle. And I was like, well, it, I mean, it can't be this good. But I, whenever it becomes FDA approved, I am willing to give it a go. So I followed it and followed it. You know, it would pop up every once in a while, and then um, a clinic came up in Philadelphia. And I couldn't dive into my savings fast enough because initially it wasn't covered by insurance. So, and it was not cheap. It was $500 a pop for six sessions. Is it it now covered by
0: insurance? Mine is. Yes. Wow. Okay, cool. cool. Very big to do to get the authorization. (sighs) I'm getting emotional
1: thinking about how, what a huge difference this made. And I'll tell the story that my doctor like with my interaction with my doctor because it was like so huge. Um so the first, the first time I got the treatments, it was um six sessions for first it was two sessions in one week and they're 40 minute sessions. And it was uh they base it on your weight. So I got um I believe I don't I'm pretty sure I got 60 milligrams uh, of
2: ketamine, um, for 40 minutes, but we're also not doctors. So don't take this as advice to go to ketamine Correct. therapy on your own.
1: Yes. Do <laughs> not hold me to it. I can tell you for sure what I'm getting now, but don't hold me to what I was getting before. Um, so yeah, no
0: self-treating with no, psychedelics
1: no. At <laughs> It's a very low. It's a much lower dosage that you're getting than you're taking to, you know, get fucked up at a festival. So it's, <laughs> so go lower if you're, yeah. <laughs> So the, so twice in one week for the first one and then spaced out over um, four more weeks. And two days after the treatment, it wasn't immediate. So like the next day I was like, well, okay, I feel. Hmm. Two days later, I was like, I, I felt like a different person. I It, it was so notable. It was so... I I just the world just seemed a little like brighter. Just I I felt I didn't feel like I was doing cartwheels down the beach with you know with birds flying around me everywhere. But I, I you know, I just felt like I didn't feel like shit. I felt good. I felt content. That was what I kept saying. I'm like, I just feel content.
2: And then and for somebody who's lived with depression their entire life, like. I don't, I don't know if I know what that feels like. That's exactly it. I was like, I assume this
1: is contentness. This is what the best way I can describe it because it's like, I've never felt these feelings before. Like even at the height of when, you know being in relationships like when I thought I was madly in love like that's, I didn't even feel this because of course in relationships I'm always assuming that they're two seconds from leaving me And I always think that, you know, I either I, you know, either I love them or I hate them. So it's like, you know, there's never that contentness. So I just felt at ease. That was another thing. My anxiety, when I tell you I have panic attacks, (laughs) like I felt, you know, like the pain across my back and like across my chest and shaking, like my panic attacks are pretty on point. Um, and I stopped having them and there was nothing that made me stop having panic attacks. So for, and this lasted for a good four months after this, these sessions. And so I, like, I was, I kind of almost forgot about the treatments until it wore off. Sorry, can I ask I a was... quick
2: can I ask a quick clarification? Yes. So the initial feeling of like contentment, was that after mm-hmm. your first session or like your sixth session? No, your... it was after my first session. Okay. And then the panic attacks and like the other kind of benefit Just was after of, the last or like as it you went. kind
1: of as I went along, like each day, each after each session, it was like a little bit easier if I, if that, I
2: don't know if that makes sense. No, 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 it totally does. Um, okay. So this might be a really stupid question because I have never done ketamine. I've seen people on ketamine, but again, going into K-holes. So it's a little bit different. (laughs) Um, what does the actual like treatment session look like? Like what, like, like, is it IV? Is it something else? Like what, like, and then are you sleeping or awake or talking or like, tell me about what the actual session is. So
1: there, well, there are two forms of ketamine, I should, or uh, that they're administering now. There's esketamine, which is um, administered nasally. And then there's the, um, it's, I have it here, ketamine, right? Yeah. And that's administered through IV. And that's the one that I get. Um, and that, the esketamine has a 40% efficacy rate and the our ketamine has an 80 percent so um and but the s ketamine is the one that mm, that's yeah the one I'm not taking so it's less important to me and <laughs> to the conversation so um yeah so you're you're hooked up to an IV um for 40 minutes uh to an hour now the sessions I'm doing are an hour long um and I per, for me personally like people do it a number of different ways some people like, just chill and text and do like their normal life. I don't know how, because you're, I mean, you go into like a dissociative t- state. Is that dissociative? Dissociative yep. Yeah. Um and you know you're 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 on ketamine, you know, you're you're having a, a bit of an experience. Um so what I like to do is put on my um hypnosis slash positive affirmation. Where you know it kind of hypnotizes you for the first for the first thirty minutes, you go into a hypnosis, and then for the last thirty minutes, it's just like you can handle stress. You're great. You've got that, You know, like that's basically what it's saying for, for half an hour, and I come out, and I'm like, I can. I'm great. You know, and that kind of carries me through until the next session for next week. Um. So, but it's very. You know, I just I listen to it also on my you know off days, um, and I still I'm like, come out of it pretty okay. But it's it's a very different experience when you're going through it while you're on the ketamine because you you really you're really like feeling
2: what they're saying. You, you know, it's like so are you like seeing things or are you like dreaming or tired or like what it. I don't know. I'm, can you tell, I don't do drugs very often. Yeah. I was just going to say evidence. like, you've clearly never done drugs. <laughs> no, I don't. And, and it, beca- and I will tell you why. And this is why I'm so yeah. interested because I am fascinated by like this, like ketamine therapy, MDMA therapy, um, like microdosing mushrooms, like all of these things I think are really interesting. But to me, the thought of being out of any sort of control of anything is literally the most scary thing. Like when people ask me what recovery means to me, it means being in my, in control of my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Yeah. That's, that is my definition.
0: And so the thought
2: any sort of psychedelics scares the living shit out of me because it could potentially go into a place that I can't control. And I do not Mm -hmm. like that.
0: I get it. Yeah, that. if it goes wrong, it gets it goes very wrong. It's like not yeah. fun. I don't like it either, Lori. <laughs> Unless it goes very right, and then it's very
1: fun. And yeah, then it's fantastic. Um, so I have sort of the opposite where I have spent my entire life trying to escape my brain. Um, I am not like I would never have considered myself a heavy drug user, except for a, a brief period of time right before. Uh, I went into rehab where I was doing a lot of cocaine, um, but that was mostly just because I knew I was I uh, needed ADD meds, and I was trying to keep up with my. I, you know, I was like, this this is great. I love being up. <laughs>
2: this is amazing. it's literally an ADHD bed, essentially. Exactly, and I was like, I just I get
1: so much done. Um, so <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I I can just take regular ADD meds and just like live a normal life. I don't need to destroy my body in order to, you know, do work or clean my
0: apartment. Um, or risk it being laced with fentanyl and have it kill you. That was
1: the other thing that is, I would never, I couldn't even imagine touching it now because I would be so horrified, like so terrified to, um,
2: what was I saying? I was just asking what the actual sessions look like. So you, you were just saying you you lay there with the IV, you sit there for 45 minutes, you listen to a podcast or whatever. So there's no talking involved.
1: Um, no, no, nobody in where I am is talking. So, but what I've read is, and I I just listened to a podcast actually recently, I've been kind of to do more homework. (laughs) I've been listening to a lot more and, um, the the doctors that were discussing it were saying that they um they do sort of guided sessions with the ketamine um and i know with like the mdma and uh what is it it's like it's, like it's so
2: bad psilocybin psilocybin yes, yes. see i know um, the words i just don't do them yeah
1: <laughs> um that they usually do guided uh, sessions with the patients but for whatever reason that's not common practice with ketamine which i thought was kind of weird like i know when i did them initially uh last year i was all like especially because i was paying for them i got like as many guided meditations as i could i listened to one about quitting smoking which i have done in the meantime um so yay um And I was like determined to get every squeeze every penny out of those sessions. And I think it was really effective. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot to be said about doing, you know, listening to guided meditations or the positive affirmation things or whatever, whatever makes you feel good, I think is going to make the next week or two or month or however long between sessions a lot more effective than if you just, you know, sat there and didn't do, you know, did nothing or sat with your thoughts. Uh, um, I tried listening to music once and that was just, there were too many, too many memories, too many triggering things. So I was just like, mm, no, thank you. I, I get that with music when I'm sober. So it's, it just wasn't, it wasn't great. Um,
0: so can I ask just because one yes. of I- When I think about it, even though like I don't like when a trip goes wrong, it's so panic inducing. My brain is still just like, fuck, man, there's nothing I love more than laying down and having a fuckload of morphine in me or like, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm not paying attention to really any of the therapeutic side effects. And I'm just like, fuck, I would just love to be, you know, super high. And outside of my brain. Did you have that experience? Like, because now I'm just craving being high or drunk.
1: So I will say that I, it's, I don't not enjoy the experience. It is like, I do it on Fridays in the afternoon because that's how I like to start my weekend um not i'm not like woo let's go party it's like that is a really way a really great way to just ease myself into you know i yes the experience is enjoyable um but i think part of the experience being enjoyable is that i know how much better i'm going to feel on the other side of it too if that makes sense it's not just the like Kind of trippy little feeling because you're not, I'm not like, you know, tripping balls or anything. It's just, it's just kind of a pleasant, floaty. Yeah, it's warm. Of,
0: hmm? It's warm.
1: It's warm. I know it's the
0: exact sensation. It feels great. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, it is very much kind of
1: like a morphine experience, you know, like you're just kind of like, God, this is nice. This is just pleasant. But when I come out of it, I'm not like, mm, you don't crave No, I'm not great. I don't feel I'm not like, you know, arm.
0: are you tired the same way you would be after like taking mushrooms, for example, where you're like, it's the longest day of your life when you're on shrooms, right? And then the next day you're fucking so tired. Like, Mm -hmm. do you have any of that? Nope. No, no effects.
1: No effects like that at all. Actually, usually unless I'm really tired for other reasons after I come out of it, I like I'm good to
0: go. Like I, I can, I clean my
1: apartment. Which is again
0: the the difference between like my experience using drugs, not being therapeutic. Right. And the entire experience being therapeutic. Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah. No, I know. Like, especially I, God, after, you know, a night of Coke or ecstasy or anything, like I'm done for days, but like doing this, I feel great. I just feel like I'm, I'm ready to, take on the world sort of situation, which is, you know, exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, Now, I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's not going to be a cure-all for everybody. This is just, I found it and I'm so thrilled and I'm so, I feel so lucky. Like I feel luckier than I ever have in my life to finally have found something that puts me at, oh, I'm getting like a little, (laughs) a little emotional thinking about it because like, I um like there it like I could not get out of bed for you know a week like literally couldn't you know the thank god my cats had automatic feeders because they couldn't move to to feed them like just but I when I can get up and make my bed and have a clean apartment. Cause that's one of the first signs when my, when things start getting sloppy around here, that's when things are getting sloppy in my head. Um, and that's just not good for anybody. So, um, like last week, last week I had a bad day. I had, Tuesday was a bad day for me. Um, and I, so I called my doctor and I was like, listen, I, I think I need to come in a couple of days early. And when I got there, I was like, I think I need to increase the dosage. Cause I, you know, I've been doing it for a while. So, you know, a little, obviously at some point tolerance is going to build up. Um, so we, we increased, went from 60 to 65. Perfect. Like I feel it within 24 hours, I, I was right back to normal.
2: So, yeah. So That's- I have so many questions and I, we only have 10 minutes. So I'm just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, after trying to prior, I'm trying to like prioritize my questions. But, um, so first one, maybe it's easy to answer is like, after you're done your 45 minute session, you said like that you don't feel like super loopy, but like, would you be able to go to work after and like be a normal person? Like it's just going to a doctor's appointment essentially.
1: It really is. I mean, for, they don't want you to, Right. <laughs> they certainly yeah. don't want me making any decisions or doing anything. It's, you know, it's a whole liability thing, but like, I feel a hundred percent, like I've, have, I've, I have, you know, hung out with friends and done normal things. Like I, you know, I am fully, I can fully go on about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel any sort of after, once it's out of your body, it kind of like your brain goes back to normal, at least okay. mine does. I mean, there's definitely like, while it's kind of dissipating in your bloodstream, there's still, but once it's gone, it's gone.
2: Okay. Um, and then the other question was, are you still taking any other mental health medications? Yes. And how does that work?
1: So what it's more of, I, I, I am on quite a few still. So I am on Welbutrin, um, um, gosh, what else? Vyvanse, Adderall.
2: I think that's it. Yes. Jesus. Vyvanse, Adderall, and Welbutrin. And there was mm-hmm. one more
0: Raylar, which is.
2: Raylar. What's um, that? SSRI? Antusica. I just, oh, I've never heard of it. Okay. Well, that one will hopefully bring things down. Cause I mean, geez, my experience on Adderall, Vyvanse, or sorry, Adderall, right? And Vyvanse. Yep. yep. I like and Wellbutrin, like, all three of those, like, fucked me right up. So that's crazy. Yeah, Wellbutrin mean, yeah. made me so angry.
1: See, I've had these, this is after trying everything, those were, like, that combination. That kind of, they kind of got me, they got me, like, halfway. And then, but I was still, like, like, they kind of couldn't, the braille art helped with my anxiety a lot, Uh, it seemed, that kind of keeps me even, um, keeps my moods. Obviously it's more of a, it's kind of, you know, like a mood stabilizer. Um, uh, the Wellbutrin helped with the depression bit and the, it, the Vyvanse and the Adderall, you know, for the ADHD. Um, but they also helped my moods as well. Um, but they just, I was still experiencing the depression uh, I was still unable to get out of bed. I was still, you know, I was still experiencing bouts of anxiety. It was, you know, I was still experiencing a lot of my symptoms, but
0: I did try going off of them, and that was a disaster. So yeah, I was gonna ask if you felt like you were over medicated.
1: Um uh, no. Uh I I I've yeah, I've tried weaning my way, way off, and the second they're out of my bloodstream, I'm I'm a mess. So it's, it, I, it, it, it is a lot, but I have resigned myself to the fact that that's just what my brain needs to function. And also the ketamine, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty, pretty severe case, I guess,
2: of lots of chemical imbalance going on. So, and totally, and yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I didn't want to make my thing sound like judgy at all about, no, medication. I, no, just, no, no, like, no. I just like, I just like, the three of those together, like I can't even take any of those alone. So it's just one of those crazy things where, like, medications just affect everybody so differently. Yeah. Um,
1: well, so I have uh, a really high tolerance for medication. Um, I like I have to take you know four ibuprofen just to like get a little bit of relief for any pain. I you know it's it, it, anything I just I, and I took one of those DNA tests to check. Um, and it, it, it effectively said that, you know, like you just need
2: a lot of medication. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Hooray! And so, <laughs> so while you're talking, I'm Googling like ketamine Vancouver. Cause I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, I, I def, I desperately want to try this. Um, it doesn't look like it's really op- an option legally right now, but anyways, mm. we'll, we, can, we can look into that more later. Um, but what was your experience in terms of getting access through your insurance provider? Cause you're in the States just for context, mm-hmm. for everybody listening. So insurance is obviously like a huge piece. Um, so like, what did you have to prove? Did you have to like show that you were treatment resistant to other medications? So, yes.
1: One of the criteria was um, the treatment resistant. You have to have, have shown that you've taken at least two different medications um, that you've shown resistance to, done. <laughs> like I'd taken two different in like a month. So, um, but then my doctor really took care of everything. Like we had a conversation and he was like, mm, we'll take care of it, insurance, done. Um, so, but also suicidal tendencies uh, is kind of was, uh, it was one of the criteria. I believe that's being eased. Um, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, I don't think you have to show like a suicide attempt in the past to necessarily be. But like, even if you
2: did like a suicide attempt, like, no, depending as, on what they're, like suicide or like self-harm ideation, mm-hmm. like I, if you I, have severe alienation. enough depression and you've been on multiple medications, what are the chances that you have not had suicidal ideation, especially in the era of climate change and COVID and all these things? Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, just living life right now. Anybody could. Yeah. Have any moves? Yeah. Like, did you wake up today? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so those were. That's really the the primary criteria. Um, and um, when I went in, I went in thinking that only the nasal spray, um, Spravato, which is the the brand name of the nasal spray. Was going to be covered. And when I went and talked to my doctor, he said that it so the IV is not approved by the FDA for depression, but it is still being used and uh,
2: covered by insurance for depression. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What's it covered for? Sorry, what's it approved for by the FDA? PTSD? pain. Oh, pain. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it started off as a, as a animal tranquilizer and then they started using it on the fields in the Vietnam war, uh, for pain. And then they started noticing that they had a lower suicide rate among the, the soldiers when they were, um, administering it. So they, and that's, that's where the trials started um and it's
2: fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the history is pretty is pretty cool and the studies that they've been doing um have been really neat too. Um, yeah.
2: I just like I find all of these alternative therapy type things so interesting because like I mean, I was just talking to a friend yesterday about this um and like she's having a really hard time trying to find an antidepressant that works for her and she mm-hmm. like And, you know, she's not, I wouldn't call her like anywhere near the severity of like mental illness as people with BPD, but like in terms of depression, she's having a really hard time and she just cannot find a medication that works for her. And she said like, Lori, I think I want to try ketamine assisted therapy. And I said, oh, that's super funny because I'm actually doing an episode of the podcast on this tomorrow. And she was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And we so we looked into like the University of British Columbia, which is the school I go to, is doing a ketamine assisted therapy trial. And we looked into the inclusion criteria, and they were like really strict. Like you had to have—I have them up actually—you had to be inpatient first of all, which obviously, like yeah. my friend, there's no way she would qualify for inpatient. Yeah. Um. But also, so let me read this. I know we only have a couple of minutes, but it was really interesting to me because I'm just like, trying to figure out like access up in Canada. So, um. You have to have B-18, whatever, depressive episode, unipolar, bipolar in patients, Um, patients who have failed adequate trials of two or more antidepressants. Fair enough. That's obvious. Um, And and one or more adjunctive therapies like um, antipsychotics, lithium, thyroid, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what that means. Um, And then ideally refractory period from psychotherapy example, cognitive behavioral therapy and previous ECT treatments, which I thought was really weird that you would have ECT and CBT in the same like line of inclusion criteria. Cause like ECT and CBT could not be more different no. for those of you who don't know what ECT yeah, is. ECT it is-, is like after CBT and DBT fails. It's like after everything fails, like ECT is electroconvulsive therapy. It's like super, like they literally yeah. like trigger, trigger seizures in you. And I know people that have done it. It's still used today, but you have to be like incredibly treatment resistant. And then CBT is like the frontline therapy for anxiety, depression and everything else. Anyway, it's just super weird. Um, and then it does say that you have to continue your antidepressant regimen. But yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that it was inpatient only. Yeah. Um, because that is like going to reduce the uh, ability for people to get access by a long shot um, at this time. But yeah. So I'm really glad that, that yours was
0: from what I know easy. about Canada, it seems like that makes sense. Right. Since you guys hospitalized quite a lot of people and we don't do that here because we have more access to outpatient services
2: covered by insurance. Um, well, this is a study through the university. So you would think oh. that you would not have to have that because the, like the Canadian research Institute would be paying for these people to access this treatment anyways, but like, yeah, our universal healthcare only covers physician and hospital treatment. So yeah. in like for like outpatient or like, sorry, for like people that aren't in a clinical trial. It, yeah. I guess it kind of makes sense, but yeah, it's just really interesting. I'm super glad that your experience was less restrictive than that in the States. Yeah.
0: And, oh, and I do I sh- know that we have another super feeler who's been trying to access ketamine, who's having a very different experience than Jess. So I think that her having a doctor who was really on board and willing to help advocate probably made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and my answer, I should say that mine is covered by both my private and uh, my Medicaid. So, cause I'm on both uh, for, well, you know, wow private through work and then Medicaid, um, you know, because of my diagnoses. So it's God, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's covered a hundred percent, which is even better. Wow. I mean,
2: like, that's not going to be the norm, I think. No, no, it's not going to be the norm at all. No, it's just, but in the future it probably will. Right. Like, I mean, if, if it's this effective, Then it will be the norm eventually because, like, they th- this is going to save the hospital system or the medical system so much money in the long run if you can help cure these things with like a short term therapy like that. But
1: the only thing, the, the only reason that it has not been approved from what I've read that it's not been the IV hasn't been approved by the FDA, um, or yeah, because it's not a big money making endeavor for the in for the um pharmaceutical companies well and
2: anesthesiologists are so expensive so if if it has to be an anesthesiologist that in that um, at this point yeah puts it then like yeah it wouldn't make money right so you add that and like the cost of treatment and you'd have to be paying so much money to like even afford the anesthesiologist's time Mm -hmm. and the medical system wouldn't want to be losing anesthesiologists to this kind of thing when they need them for surgeries and covid and all this stuff Um, we have two minutes. I know. So, okay. So Jessica, we have, we're we're literally going into super feelers right after this. (laughs) So (laughs) we're very excited and I think you'll be there. So I mean, even better, but, um, any final words for this episode, because I have a feeling this is not going to be the last episode we have on this topic. Um, but floor is yours for the next 30 seconds.
1: Uh, I would just say if, if you have had the experience of not having Success with with medications like pursue ketamine treatment, man. It has been a literal lifesaver for me. It's it's it is. I can't I can't emphasize this enough. It has gotten me out of bed, and that is the best thing in the world for me. So yeah, go out find a good doctor, Doctor Scott. Shout out. So yeah,
2: that's. I'm. I'm I got. we're all so happy for you that you found this. Like to you find know. people that have treatments that they find that finally work. It's just like, Oh, yay. This is the best thing that Uh, could possibly happen to somebody. So thank you so much for being on and sharing your story with us. And I'm sure we'll get so many questions So we'll probably have you back. (laughs) And um, we're also going to try and get your doctor on at some point. So um, yeah, stay tuned for more ketamine conversations.
0: Hi friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold, beautiful borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.